I just saw my parents, so they just left. Oh yeah, how are they doing? Uh, fine, they brought a lot of cheese. everyone and welcome to another episode of the zoom green room i'm your host and me and as you know it's my favorite podcast because it's a lot of me talking now what i would love for you to do if you are listening on apple or wherever you're listening to your podcast please rate the show and give us a little review it really helps out now I'd like you to save the grimiest, velvetiest, most smoke-smelling chair in the green room this week for our very special guest. He is an actor, a model, and now a designer. <laughs> Shaking his head, no, don't mention that, but we're going to. He's my very good friend, Ryan Anning. Ryan, hi. <laughs> hi, thanks for being on the show. Thanks. I don't, I don't know about model. I do take a little issue with that. Model in the way that everyone who ever had a glamour shot taken is a model. Like people's cat in There's the background on their head. Now, well, <laughs> Ryan, I tend to start the show by letting people know what popped up when I Googled them the first thing. And for you, my friend, I got a recent CBC article about how COVID is putting young people's futures on hold. <laughs> and I mean, I understand that your future might be on hold, but I think the legend of your youth is getting more and more exaggerated as time goes by. <laughs> I didn't like, I don't think I knew that was the <laughs> premise of the, of the article when I was interviewed for that. <laughs> yeah. Tweens on lockdown. Uh, <laughs> That's completely what it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought it was recent graduates, I think. And the uh, picture of you is a total model shot, by the way. It's great. I have no idea. That's cool. Okay. Yeah, cool. it's submitted by you. <laughs> God, it's like I have two minds and one of them thinks I'm fabulous. <laughs> you are. You definitely are. So I'm um, going back just the very few years of experience in your very young life. Could we start? Can you let me know like when you first started getting into art or performance? Like, was it during school? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it was high school, really. Um, I had done, you know, a few kind of plays with youth groups and stuff like that. Um, some community theater, which is always fun. Sure. And I actually had a really great experience with community theater. I was doing it in Collingwood. And uh, mainly three shows I did there. And then I kind of, I mean... I didn't know what I wanted to do and I knew that I liked performing. It was, it was, it was fun. I enjoyed it. And so I decided to try to pursue that, which I think I did sort of, I don't mean to get dark, but sort of half-heartedly not really knowing what I was doing for quite some time. Yeah. Um, and in retrospect, I mean, a lot of that had to do with anxiety and, and fear of choosing a regular path. And I mean, I remember the process of applying for um, university and it was so overwhelming. It was crippling for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I had that much anxiety surrounding really normal stuff. And I mean, it took a long time to, to, <laughs> to sort of unpack all of that. But um, eventually, eventually I was, I was able to. So that's nice. So that's how it got started. Right. When did Rada, that experience come into play? Was that before your Toronto stuff? So 
That, I mean, I was going to say that wasn't that long ago, but it was like 10 years now. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I mean, I came to Toronto. Eventually I was, I started taking, you know, acting lessons and I did like a three-year program at this place called New School of Drama, where I met friends and people I'm still friends with today. And of course I did like workshops, the same things that other actors have have done in this city. Um, And then I took singing lessons, which didn't ever really take. And uh, then at one point I did do a Shakespeare intensive in London at RADA, yes. It was a eight week course, I believe. Yeah, it was like a summer term. Yeah, it was like, I mean, the way they described it was kind of like they condensed the Shakespeare training that they normally do over like three years at RADA into that eight weeks. That's how they described it anyway, yes. And that, I mean, from the outside looking in to my point of view, I think that had kind of an influence on you as a, an actor. I mean, that's, you talk about that to this day. The Rada experience is great. And I mean, it's hard, <laughs> it's kind of hard to say this without sounding like I'm trying to disparage people, but the difference in the instructors at Rada and the instructors that I encountered here, not necessarily the ones that I worked with for a long time, but I audited a lot of classes and it was night and day. I always got the impression from, from the professors at the teachers at RADA that they were on your side. They were there to cheer you along and say, yes, you did this or no, I need you to do it better. Like they were invested. And, and again, this is just my experience, but I think I met a lot of teachers here who were very much just doing it for their ego or that's certainly what it felt like and you know I don't mean to sound <laughs> uncharitable it's just again that was just my impression it was just so refreshing to to have people who were um, really rooting for you and would be critical but supportive at the same time and really seemed invested like good teachers fantastic fantastic yeah. teachers I love them I wonder sometimes if with with performance and classes and stuff it it does all come down to who's teaching. And I also often wonder sometimes if if certain instructors actually see good students as competition. I don't know. I mean, I don't know either. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, and it, I'm not saying all teach, like, I mean, it's like, it's like regular school teachers. Some are good. Some are not so good. Right. Yeah. But there is a weird thing in the arts mm-hmm. <laughs> where sometimes you feel like you're not, I mean, I found this just so you're not getting treated that well. And then you suddenly start to figure out like, oh, they think I'm going to get their job. Hmm. You know, I remember, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was um, from one of the professors at RADA, actually, a quote, one I didn't have, but I did study with him when he was here doing a, a, an intensive and I, he was great, Andrew Tidmarsh. And he had a book and it took, like I said, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said that you have to believe that there are enough jobs for everyone, that like you have to do it because otherwise you'll go crazy, right? Like you'll, yeah. you'll just get in your head. And I mean, that's why I always hated audition rooms, waiting rooms. I mean, who doesn't? Because you, you're all literally there for the same part often and you can really get in your head. And I, I just think it's such a waste of time to you know, be thinking that everybody's against you, which is the same mindset we use when we go into auditions a lot of the time, you know, it's like, they don't want you to suck. They want you to be awesome. No, you would make their day if they could just be done. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You also, you did Toronto Fringe 
I did that a few times. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things, the first things that I, I mean, we met doing a show, a big, a big show, like with like a zillion people in it, somewhere between a zillion and like 40 years. I'm not sure. (laughs) Like it was, but it was, it was a lot. It was a long, it was pretty good, but I remember being in it. I felt like it was, it was so long. I don't think it was. I think it was like two hours or something with no intermission. Yeah, maybe I don't a little more. I, don't I felt like it was five it was. hours long. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't it w- feel like it didn't feel crazy. I didn't feel like it was too long. I know that your evaluation of pretty much everything is er, too long. Should have cut off forty minutes. <laughs> Half of this should go. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah, we met doing that show. And it was a. It was. A, I thought it was a show where you could shine even though I didn't know you yet. It was, it was dark. It was plague ridden. It was gothy. Oh, yeah. oh, um, so you were perfect it so for fun. it. I wasn't, but she stuck <laughs> me in there anyway. And I, I think that might've been the reason so that we would meet. <laughs> oh, well then I'm, then I'm in, uh, indebted. Yeah. Um, the, I really liked that show because it was like dark and weird and I hadn't done a lot of dark and weird stuff. Um, the first fringe Thing I'm going to say I did was sort of in that vein too. It was a sort of Brechtian inspired cabaret um, and uh, called Love is a Poverty You Can Sell. And I think we originally workshopped that in 2009 and then it was in the 2010 fringe. And then there was a kind of truncated version in the 2011, um, whatever that ne- next stage upstairs or whatever. The, it was like at the factory theater. Yeah. It was a trunk. It was a shortened version of it basically. And then in uh, 2013, I believe is when the Love is a Poverty 2, we did that for Fringe as well. And that was, again, a lot of fun because uh, it was very, it felt, it had a sort of loose quality to it where you could kind of play and it was like very dark and sort of underworldly and a little seedy and, and it was just so much fun. We were sort of hanging out a little bit after the our big show that we were mm-hmm. in and you mentioned to me like, oh, I'm in this, this thing and you know, do you want to come see it? And I was like, yes. And this was for a gay play day, which I had been to before, you know, yeah. so I was like, all right, <laughs> I, I'm going to go see Ryan in this thing. And it's still, I still think of that show so fondly. I'm, <laughs> I'm with AIDS. And what I remember about it is like months before you were in it, we went to some show at like the Sony center or somewhere. And we were in the lobby and you described the premise to me. And I started laughing like out of control <laughs> in the lobby of this like dance show or something we were going to. Right. And then, but then it was seemed like ages until I actually saw the show mm-hmm. and I laughed through most of that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was another, I mean, that's another one of my probably favorite things that I, I did. It was a one man, one man show. Right. Yeah. That's why it was my my favorite favorite thing. Yeah. (laughs) It was, it was fun and it was funny. I thought it was like a a tight show. Yeah. That was written by my friend Warren Wagner and uh, it was such a great funny premise and, and he, yeah, Warren has a lot of really great ideas actually. It was, it was suited to you, but I admired that it was sort of, it it wasn't you at all. And you real you were very convincing as the sort of, it was sort of a, um, this is a controversial term, but sort of a straight (laughs) acting gay man in this Mm -hmm. office culture who, Mm -hmm. when he gets sort of outed is 
actually more annoyed by how supportive people are in a very annoying cloying straight way wanting to talk about drag race all the time and it's it's him trying to distance himself and of course it's sort of a disaster yeah um but it's and it's dark but it is really really funny yeah i mean and that's that's why it was it was i do i love the dark i love the light and the dark but uh, definitely gravitate toward the latter that was the beard phase did I have a beard? You did have a beard for that. Okay. Show. I was like, <laughs> I who is remember. that guy? <laughs> God, I have no recollection of anything ever. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was actually the second gay play day uh, show I had done. I think I'd done it two years ago, two years before that. But uh, that was that was that. And then I decided to kidnap you and force <laughs> you into one of my one man shows you did and again cross-dressing and yeah it's a whole other thing another one of my favorites um uh that just sounds like i'm saying everything's my favorite but we really are hitting on the highlights here (laughs) um (laughs) yeah that show was so interesting because it was so bizarre um i mean it was very different for me and so i had to have a lot of sort of trust in you as the director because I think it was a really specific curated vision that you had and so it wasn't regular it it, it was it was what's the word it just seemed like a style of acting that was very like on display it was I don't want to say performative but you know obviously it's a performance but it it was uh mannered it has a surreality about it too and that was really interesting because for me I don't think it was like an intuitive experience in the same way that some of the other characters I, I played were um but yeah it was it was a lot of fun and I liked that it was sort of unsettling and it was clearly you know it was smart and it was good um so I didn't have to be nervous about that part or you know yeah yeah Yeah, we did that at Hamilton Fringe Mm -hmm. which was odd because we got small audiences yet it was kind of the buzz of the thing which was very odd to me which I didn't really Uh, find out till the end cool you got excellent reviews as well they were yeah they were positive I remember them they were you know it was good oh I still got them (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and then we did it as sort of a triptych yeah where i sort of pushed it and i i was happy that it didn't i don't think it lost its power being put with another couple of things mm. which was what i wanted to be very careful that these were three separate pages and that there wasn't you know what i mean that each page was a different color and a different different feel and that they right. didn't sort of blur into like mm-hmm. this mythic missy goss of like surreal weird shit right and yeah uh, i really enjoyed that show <laughs> it was yeah. my, my show is very arrogant of me but some shows i've done i haven't enjoyed so much again for me fun and weird and i mean alex alex was in that and he, he was just phenomenal and then jen is amazing and lovely and had those amazing nails so <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that's why you guys were so good with it because you were shocking in a different way in a in a sort of um because his was very worldly and yours was very otherworldly supernatural and my, you have uh, a, my hit yeah you have a presence about you that Aww. is very unusual as well um and <laughs> unsettling and you, unsettling no well you can't take your eyes off of you on stage oh. and I, yeah when i've seen you in i mean you were in that 
of kind of a strange Russian thing as well. That oh, I sat through. Yeah. Ryan, too long. <laughs> but <laughs> it was other than that, it was great. <laughs> it was it was long. It and was so long. I that was maybe I think that was like the second last thing I really did um yeah. yours I believe was the last doing that triptych with ornithology um but yeah we did the possessed uh Dostoevsky right. um and it was that was the, I would I was like that was sort of the it was the first lead of that size where I think out of <laughs> I think it was maybe three and a half hours long and I was on the stage for about two and three quarters of those hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a Russian Hamlet. There were so many lines and I was so <laughs> scared of not knowing my lines that I didn't talk to anyone except people I had scenes with. And so I would just stay in a corner and like run, I would say my lines until I could say them as fast as I could flawlessly. And then I knew they were locked in. Yeah. Um, but as a result, turns out people thought I was unfriendly because <laughs> I wasn't talking to anyone. <laughs> Uh, and so it was only when I was able to relax when we were at the end and I could actually start talking to people that I, I, uh, I think that that perspective, I hope, I think changed a little bit. So, yeah, yeah who but is that, that was, I feel like with that character, I had a really instinctive feel for it that, that the director seemed to be okay with or, or want. And so it was, it was very gratifying to not feel lost all the time with the character. Right. Yeah, the yeah. was was very cold. That's what I remember. Like I was like, this, this guy's a bastard. But yes. again, <laughs> I wanted to find out what happened to him because it, you know, <laughs> your supreme acting skills. Oh yeah, surprise right. ending. What what sort of brings on a sort of shift in where you want to go and what you want to do in my life? Yes. Um, I- <laughs> Essentially, I just wasn't feeling a sense of progress that I think I needed. Um, You know, I didn't know what else I really wanted to do, but I was working very hard to get my anxiety and depression under control. Uh, And I don't want to say under control, but managed and be able to function with and around it. So I, I was able to do that. I started to focus in on thinking like, okay, well, what can I possibly do that is interesting for me? And I know that I get bored easily so that I can like change a lot. And I'd always gravitated toward design kind of stuff. Like as a kid, I was always, I don't know, rearranging furniture or wanting to paint walls or all, all that kind of stuff where I look at it and I'm like, duh, yes, of course. And so I went to, uh, Ryerson for interior design for four years and um and that's and that's where I just came out of we finished up just as the pandemic was was hitting really it's putting young people's lives on hold that's what I've been reading <laughs> and mine yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yours <laughs> yeah um but uh I it was I'm glad I did it and and to be honest a lot of I think the acting stuff really helps I mean first of all I think it just helps to go as a mature student where you don't see professors necessarily as um these aliens in the same way because you're closer to their age and also their kind of level of experience in terms of just world experience um and so a lot of the stuff that I learned with acting like acting exercises very much goes hand in hand with 
also like coping strategies for anxiety and depression. So like, you know, you have a lot of enacting exercises that are like meditative, but they're never really described as that. It's always like lay on the floor and close your eyes and do this thing that we're not really explaining the purpose of to you. Now um, fall down and we'll catch you. <laughs> right. Maybe. And unless and, you're uh, six foot tall, then be careful. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Um and and so just that awareness from acting and and is just has been helpful for connecting with people and being able to learn how to talk to people and, you know, not be an asshole and, uh, or as much of one. Yeah. So I, I definitely credit it with being very helpful for me, just applied in a different way. I also want to say that because I'd, I've done work for Ryerson with their live actor simulation program, yes. um, that was that. like, they hire actors to do that. So it's basically like standardized um, patient things where you have an actor go into a situation, um, a scenario and uh, a simulation yeah, is what they call them. You're always a teen hooker, right? <laughs> that was your head. <laughs> oh, if I had a nickel, I'd be a teen hooker. Um, and uh, oh, no, like, and I, I did one this week and I was the same character. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. In these in these scenarios, though, you have to very much pay attention to how the learners, the students, um, how their actions and words are affecting you. And then you give feedback in the form of reflection. So you're not there to teach, but you are yeah. there to share how you felt, how things made you feel. Right. And so that's really the same with with performance, with acting. It's how everybody's affecting one another and establishing those relationships and it just made me so aware of the things that that um you know are very specifically triggering for me like if there's like terms that I don't like and I sort of get my back up when I hear them or the way you know tones of voice and made me really in tune uh, to that so that was incredibly helpful too again just in in life and understanding what soft skills are and that we need to show empathy and how to listen to people and yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm uh, that's tired. okay. No, no. I and I. It's interesting you say that because what I've always noticed about you is that you're. And I. I mean, maybe we should mention we're both only children, right? And in because of that, at risk of being mild sociopaths. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always, <laughs> maybe me more than you, but I've always noticed your your observation, listening, and empathy are jacked way up above the average oh, really? person for example you if you go over to ryan's house in non-covid times and uh say i'm sitting on the sofa and literally a first thought crosses my head of like oh my back do you want a pillow like it's just like boom he's just paying attention to everything that could possibly be uncomfortable or wrong in the smallest degree and he's gonna fix it that's oh. that's what is very interesting about you well, it's interesting. I wonder where the um, the cross section of like being a white male and wanting to fix everything, uh, being empathetic, and also being anxiously aware of other people's situation, not just empathetically, but but like obsessively. Due You're to Deanna anxiety. Troy. Yeah. Yeah. God, it's a mess. I, I, to be honest, yeah, there are probably multiple factors that, that make me pay attention to those things. I mean, one of them is also being queer, right? Like um, when you belong to a, a minority that is, uh, you know, at potential, potentially 
can potentially be in situations where you're going to be harmed for yeah. for being in that in that minority i think that you do develop a, a little bit of a heightened awareness of other people's state of mind or proximity <laughs> and uh when i was younger in addition to like other anxieties i had it was it really was as i mentioned crippling and i'm i'm sure that's you know has sort of bled forward uh although it, it's not to the same degree and i even present as somewhat outgoing now but yeah it's it's interesting it's an interesting cross-section of all of these all of these things yeah you know and it's, you just triggered my memory of of the fringe festival when we were in hamilton and i mean all love to hamilton and the fringe they were very welcoming but there was a point i don't know if this will stay in or out where you'd said something along the lines of oh this is a nice looks like a good block to be bashed on. And I was like, whoa, okay, ha ha. And then it happened to another performer in the French. What? Oh my God. One of the God. performers. It was, I think you might know who it was. If I'll, I, we will talk okay. about it later. Sure. He wasn't, he, I mean, he didn't go to the hospital or anything, but he right. got hurt. Oh, and I, I was just that. like, whoa. Yeah, that made it a little, and I, I mean, we knew we knew we had to be careful walking yeah. around. And part of it is, it's it, any place, it's not places that are crowded, it's places that are deserted. Mm-hmm. That's what you got to watch out for. And we had people saying some weird stuff to us walking around. Mm-hmm. But we were together all the time. Right. Yeah. I mean... And you were wearing that snakeskin green dress, so... Yeah, it was all on me. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. But we also knew, like, I, like they were like, oh, you know, you could go out in character and pass out cards. And I said, over my dead body. <laughs> if it was yeah. Toronto, I might think about doing that, but not there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, even, yeah. you know, I've never been physically harmed because of, you know being perceived as, as being queer um but I, I mean definitely having people said stuff like out yeah. of passing cars and you know even uh, just a couple of years ago walking on dundas of all the places of all the places and and some guy made a comment about my 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 leather jacket looking gay <laughs> and i was like you were like that's the right. point <laughs> you bitch <laughs> Ask me out or shut up. When I was in uh, university and skinnier and lankier, I had people call me fag all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, I mean, it is a bit different now. I think just because so many people know queer people and are familiar and more comfortable. And, and, you know, I mean, it, it is good, but I can't help be aware of the fact that it's only because it's become more socially acceptable. It's not as though you know, 20 years ago, these people would not have been as, as, as tolerant because people didn't think outside the box. It's only about what they've been acclimatized to. You know, they didn't think about what actually makes sense and and how this might actually be affecting other people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Which that's all bigotry, right? Mm. You've gone through Ryerson four years and here we are in the present. Mm-hmm. Now, this might be your one chance, Ryan, to explain to me what your job is right now, because I still don't understand what you're doing. Right now? Right now. Um, well, I'm working currently at U of T, 
on a, on a project. I can't really talk too much about it. Doing a little bit of a redesign with some studios to try to improve them for, and just in, to improve it for students. So that means like getting feedback from students and finding out what their issues have been with, with these spaces or with their, the facilities or the, the desks or the chairs, you know, like all this kind of stuff and, and come up with a proposal of of how to fix these things how to address these concerns in order to enhance the students experience I mean it's from my perspective it's all about making it easier for the students for the students providing the students with the resources they need to accomplish the tasks that they're being given by their professors so that's very vague but that's I mean I I probably can't get too much more specific than that that's okay now yeah I'm wondering the when you're looking at a redesign like that, are you now having to factor in things that we should, will have to do if, say, I hate to say this, but say <laughs> another COVID mm-hmm. or another issue like this comes up, like, is there some kind of like, uh, you know, partitions or, you, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Things like that, that have to be ready to go. We aren't thinking along those lines right now. This is being designed for kind of ideal post COVID mm-hmm. existence. Paradise. Um, for paradise, because yeah. uh, re- I mean, like realistically, I think to get the, um, you know, people back into these spaces, I don't even know how much, but they'd have to have like supercharged HVAC systems. Yeah. I mean, we just don't have enough air turnover for to have people in these spaces again. And I can't see how even with partitions that, you know, it could, it could be okay. But I, you know, I'm not an, an, an engineer, so I don't know, yeah. but. Okay. So we're not, we're not thinking about that yet. No, we are still keeping our fingers crossed. At least I am. Yes. Well, I think we all are. <laughs> I mean, it's the same. I mean, if, if something like this would have, there is, there's really currently no building that's safe to go into mm-hmm. in a crowd with this happening. Like, yeah, that's not a thing. Like, I mean, my work is out, we're working mm-hmm. from home and we have been since March. Mm-hmm. So it's coming up on a one year anniversary here of mm-hmm. working at home. I've, I mean, now I just think my apartment is my office, my home and my prison. <laughs> this is fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't working from home for like, like last semester um, until the very end when things started to lock down more and then I was. And still, we would obviously stay very distant and wear masks. Um, but I think that stopping the, you know, the, the transmission at the source, meaning masks, is probably the best approach, um, even if you're going to go back into these spaces and pump up the HVAC, like you have to be, you know, stopping it right there. Yeah, and I mean, I'm working from home now, and it's, it can be so boring, yes. <laughs> yeah. Looking into our crystal ball into the future. Sure. You've actually, I didn't want to say it at the beginning, but you've come up with like your own phrase of what you are. It appears on your LinkedIn. Yeah. Why don't you talk (laughs) about that for a second? You want to know about that? Okay. I do want to know about that. Uh, So, okay. So I, I was basically trying to figure out this career identity, this idea of something that would be a touchstone for me to go back to so that I know what's important to me so that I know what resonates with me in like choosing projects and choosing places I wanted to work. And so I realized that a lot of the things that I like in designer are very, um, 
I want to say childlike, <laughs> like things that inspire wonder. I'm always, I'm, I still have that kid mind when I go into a place, like I'm like, oh, what's around that corner or what's, what's, the, what's under here? I want to like explore. And so I am always interested in the things that make you want to explore spaces or the little glitches or anomalies on a building, that, that brick that's a different color or that little platform that you're not quite sure what it is, but you want to go stand on it, you know, like what I was calling Easter eggs or like what in sort of common parlance now we would call Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. And I realized, okay, well maybe I'm the Easter bunny and I want to like make these Easter eggs for people. Um, but really uh, creepy. <laughs> I know I talked about it with my therapist. Uh, and then, you know, trying to refine this into a little bit more of a, a easy elevator pitch. I did come up with, dream excavator and i know how corny that sounds and I that's love okay it. it's so <laughs> new it well i'm trying to combine this like this sense of wonder and for me i i, I have to sort of explain that also when i'm trying to design for a person i'm really interested in getting in their head and understanding like what they like how their mind works so that i can like carve out something cool for them that gives them that sense of wonder like that's what I want to do I want to find out what what gives them that feeling and the excavation part is really the 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 digging to find out what that is and getting your hands dirty and and really making it a a more holistic design experience if 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 possible but so I mean that's that's quite vague and like as for how to apply it, I'm not 100% sure yet, but um, I, I do want to like, I want to know what makes people tick and I want to design based on that because everybody deserves like a, like a space or a room or something that for them is just like gives them delight. You know, I don't want to say sparks joy, but I want to say just like that there's just something about it that when they see it, it pleases them or they feel connected they to it. it. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that somehow a reflection of them. It's like you're using that psychotic empathy <laughs> to design a room for that person. I, ideally. That's how it all comes together. Yeah. I like it. And yeah. what would you, like, do you see yourself like, this, I don't mean to put pressure on you in this, but like, <laughs> would you want to work on your own as your own like company or with other people like with partners or like what's, mm-hmm. what would be your ideal situation? I mean, I don't think I'm a business person, right? Like yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know what the role is that I would be best suited for. I mean, I always think of myself as someone who's good at editing. Like I want to go into something that's like a little bit established and, and sort of say, well, let's tweak this. Let's do, you know, but I wonder sometimes if that's just me being lazy and, you know, not wanting to do the work in the first place, but, but uh, in, in, in a partnership, absolutely. Um, in school, I was, I think good at, I, especially one person I found my friend, Brittany, I realized that we would work really well together because I am kind of like, oh, what about, who cares about the rules? And, you know, like pushing the envelope. And she was very much like, here's our checklist. We need to check everything off. And so it was a nice combination where we complemented each other well, I think. And I really loved working with her. I I sort of poached her. I remember watching her at a, 
a um, presentation after my first year and I'm like, you, you're the luckier girl I'm <laughs> going to partner with. Well, I'm glad you're not, I'm not the only one poaching people around here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I was the lucky one because it was, it was such a good experience. Ryan, tragically, we were supposed to go to New York last right. May. Oh, that's right. You won, uh, uh, well, you, yes, you were like a top five. I, in a, I would say placed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Placed. Come on now. In a, yeah. in a chair design <laughs> competition. Yes. Um, there's, there's only, really only one winner, but it, the, then there were five people additionally who would be sent to New York to um, a design convention. Would be sent, yeah, to a, a design convention. I was one of uh, six people. There was one winner and then basically five other people were selected to go to New York to this furniture exhibition. Yes. Uh, and yes, we were supposed to go in May. It was, um, it, we had a chair competition at my school, which was sponsored by Wilson Art, which is a, a laminate company. And um, so we had to build a chair based on a, a historical precedent of a chair and also um inspired by a uh, sort of artist. So I built this monstrous, huge, heavy friggin' chair <laughs> and based on a French curve. And and uh, yeah, it was supposed to be uh, sent down to New York and we were gonna go and, and I had friends who were gonna come and we we're all gonna be in, in New York together. It was, oh, so much fun, so much fun, so much fun. Yeah, I was, cause you said I have a pass and I was like, I'm gonna go. Yeah. Going to this thing and I booked all the stuff and fortunately I didn't book the flight and then that March thing happened and I just thought maybe I'll just wait for the flight but it's going to be okay it's going to be okay <laughs> we kept thinking it was going to be okay till about three weeks out I think mm. yeah that was tough so you owe me a trip to New York that's basically <laughs> what I'm getting at <laughs> that's fine <laughs> that's um, one day when we're both made of money yeah we're going down there yeah that that was a big disappointment uh, it, it was you know i think it would have been a lot of fun but it's okay i think in terms of damage to me caused by covid pretty minimal on the grand in the grand scheme of things i haven't known anyone who's been seriously sick lost a job or or you know had crazy medical bills or anything like that you actually so gained I, a job I do. I did You're gain Superman. a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I want to put that in a context of, of yeah. you know, yes, disappointing, but grand scheme, I'm doing okay. Well, I'd like to thank you, Ryan, for coming on the show. Thank you. I, uh, I do hope that it's the acting is semi-retired <laughs> because one day I'm going to get you again. Well, I mean, I always say <laughs> if someone begged me, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can't, I do have to say, I, I don't miss it really. And, uh, but I will say it was very weird to suddenly realize that all the people I was interacting with every day didn't come from that world. That was a little bit of an adjustment. Yeah. That was because, and then it also made me realize how many people who were my friends are my friends from before who were just from that world and would always get my weird, you know, play references or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's an insular little world and it's not yeah. as big as it seems. Right. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And there's only one real vampire hooker and that's you, my friend. <laughs> Aww. Anyone Seriously, else anyone who gets a role since... like that, 
bullshit. <laughs> Number of times I've been teenage hookers. <laughs> what was the you had one with this the uh the symbol all over your back? Symbol, yep. Uh yeah, the symbol. I, <laughs> yeah, totally so unoffensive once, symbol. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was playing a former neo-Nazi gay prostitute. <laughs> As you do. Yeah, and uh I uh, part of the scene was that they had to draw a swastika <laughs> on my back, um, which I forgot was there. Yeah, and well, then, it is on your back. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't, I think originally they were going to do henna, and then they ended up using some kind of paint that was supposed to peel off later. But the next day, or a couple days later, or whatever it was, I, you know, was around people and took my shirt off, and like, I was like, Okay, yeah, I have to explain this because because people yeah. are calling the police. Yeah, it was an awkward yeah. moment. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's just say that. <laughs> there. Yeah, Ryan was kind enough to come on my previous podcast, Popular Parallax, as a Star <laughs> Trek fan. Next that, generation yeah. only. I've recently had compliments on that. Actually, yes. Did you really? <laughs> Favorite episode right now. Oh, the drumhead. Very good. I love that episode. That's it. Yeah. That's so you. Yeah. The, the perfect justice, the complicated <sighs> monologues, the sitting and talking. Yeah. <laughs> crushing. Sen- I have a crushing sense of justice. I really, I really noticed do. that about you. And you have that episode's dialogue burned into your soul. And mm-hmm. what better episode to have burned into your soul than that one? <laughs> yeah. Better than masks, one of my favorite episodes, <laughs> which is nonsense. I like the nonsense episodes. I, I, I mean, the ones where Brent Spiner was hamming it up were a little hard for me. <laughs> I have to say, that's every episode. Don't be where he's playing other characters, it's like playing his dad or whatever. <laughs> What's happening? Oh. <laughs> Talk about theatrical. Oh. I hope you have a lovely weekend. The weather's getting better. Yeah, so we'll have to uh, be walking again soon. That would be good. That would be good. And I just got a delivery of five giant wool blankets. So (laughs) park sitting is always an option too. Yes. Well, we'll be doing plenty of sitting outside this summer Mm. because something tells me COVID will still be in the air. We'll be in the fresh air six feet away from other people and each other. That's Mm -hmm. okay. Thanks a lot for tuning into the Zoom green room again this week. Please remember to rate and leave us a comment. It really helps the show. And thanks for coming into the green room. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.